Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to begin. We are learning Parshat Pinchas. That's this week's Parsha. And for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that this was uh, a very dramatic story that happened to the Jewish people in the desert. So let me give you a little bit of background. And uh, then we'll, we'll begin with this week's Parsha. So the background is that the Jewish people in the desert encountered a nation, two nations. One was called Midian and one was called Moab. Midian and Moab together plotted to send their young ladies to lead the Jewish young men astray. They figured there's no way to get the Jewish people to walk away from God. Uh, because the Jews will not go to any idols, idolatry, unless you tempt them in some other way, and then that will lead them to idolatry, to Avodah So they sent their women, and the Midianite and the Moabite women went out to the Jewish people and became a big balagan, a huge chaos. A lot of, a lot of Jewish men were going with these, with these uh, pagan women, and it was not very good at all. And one man, one Jewish man in particular, who should absolutely have known better, his name was Zimri. And he was the leader of Shevet Shimon. He was the leader of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, he went and took a girl from Midian and brought her to Moshe Rabbeinu. And said to Moshe, do you think that this, I, can, I can be with this woman? And Moshe said, no. So she's, Mid- she's, a Midian, she's a Midianite. And so Zimri taunted Moshe and said, but you married a Midianite. So what's the problem? And as we discussed last week, Moshe didn't answer him because it's an absurd question. Moshe married her before the Torah was given. She converted with all the rest of the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. There's no comparison. To grabbing a girl off the street and going to be with her. So Moshe didn't answer him and he was laughing and everybody was laughing and, it, and the leadership was crying and nobody knew what to do. Well, and me. Yeah. Moab is all the way up. Yeah. And Midian is already all the way over here. Yeah. I mean, how come they, 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 they connected to the same thing at the same time? So. <laughs> it was on Zoom, right? Yeah. I don't know. So, so, uh, so, Moshe, so Moshe didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. And meanwhile, Zimri took the woman, whose name was Kazbi, and went with her <coughs> into, a, into a bedroom. Anyway, this was a public debacle, a public spiritual meltdown on the Jewish people's part. And Moshe's great nephew, Pinchas, who was the son of Aaron's son, Elazar, took a spear and he went and he killed Zimri and Kazbi. He killed them, he killed them both. When you say he took a Jewish woman, okay? What? No, the... the, the Jewish Zim- man. Zimri was a Jewish man? Yeah, he okay. was the head of, of the tribe of Shimon. Okay. He was the Nasi okay. of the tribe of Shimon. He was one of the Nasim of the Jewish people. He was one of the leaders. No trial, no nothing, he just goes and kills No trial, no nothing. He just went and killed him. 
because he went to uh, Moshe and he said to Moshe, he says, Moshe, you taught me that when someone does this in public and makes a public spectacle out of it, uh, in Hebrew they say, Kanaim pogimbo. Somebody that wants to set it, set it right should just go and kill him. So no trial, no nothing. So Zimri wanted to take a lady from uh, Midian. Midian. So Z- he did. And Zimri and the Pinchas caught them in the act and executed them both. Oh. And when he killed them, the plague that had begun to kill Jewish people stopped. In other words, when this spiritual meltdown began, an epidemic broke out and Jews started dying. Because in, in the desert, everything was very pure. Everything was very pure. And a, and a spiritual uh, sickness would immediately appear as a physical sickness. Similar to what we learned about um, Tzara'at. person speak Lashon Hara. And he would imme- a person would uh, slander somebody. And would immediately it would appear on his skin as a white blotch. As a, spirit, as a physical uh, rash which was the result of a spiritual illness. So the Jews were on such a lofty spiritual level that, what, that if they had a spiritual illness, it would appear immediately as a physical problem. Same thing here, when the Jews fell into this embarrassing and, uh, and disappointing spiritual pit, it immediately manifested as a plague and Jews started dying. And when Pinchas killed Zimri and Cosby, the plague stopped. Immediately. That was the end of the plague. Not one more person died. So it was almost like Zimri and Cosby together were spiritually and physically attacking the Jewish people. So Pinchas defended them by getting rid of these two people and the Jewish people stopped dying. So now... Even though Zimri was a holy man and he was killed, it's, it's okay? Zimri was, was supposed to be a holy man. Oh, he, but he, he was wasn't. a leader. He should have been a holy man. And when Pinchas killed him, many of the Jewish people started to grumble. Who is this Pinchas who thinks that he... Who is he Bichlau? He was nobody. Pinchas was nobody. To give you an example of what a nobody Pinchas was, I have to tell you a joke. It's one of the oldest Jewish jokes on planet Earth. The joke is, a guy comes to a rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I want to be a Kohen. Right? So the rabbi goes, why? He says, because my father is a Kohen and my grandfather is a Kohen. And so I want to be a Kohen. Right? It's one of the oldest jokes in the world. And the reason why it's a joke is because if your father is a Kohen and your grandfather is a Kohen, then you are automatically a Kohen. The Torah reports to us one instance in history where there was a man whose father was a Kohen, his grandfather was a Kohen, and he was not a Kohen. Who was it? Pinchas. Why? Because the whole idea of Kohen was started by God when Pinchas was already born. Pinchas was, again, Aaron, Aaron's grandson. Aaron, Moshe's brother, Aaron, God made him the first Kohen and made his four sons Kohens and told Aaron, told Moshe, that Aaron's four, Aaron and his four sons will be Kohens, and their children that are born from this day forward, their sons will be Kohens too. But only the children that are born from this day forward. Pinchas was already born. 
and God did not make him a Kohen. So literally, Pinchas' father, Elazar, was a Kohen. His grandfather, Aaron, was a Kohen. And Pinchas was not a Kohen. So that's what kind of a nobody Pinchas was. He was the grandson of Aaron, but he was not a Kohen. He was the great nephew of Moshe, but he was not a leader. He was just a simple Jew. So when he stepped up and committed this act of zealotry, Kanaut, and killed Zimri, many Jewish people were grumbling and saying, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? To get up and kill one of the leaders of the Jewish people. And Moshe defended him. And not only Moshe defended him, God defended him, as we're going to read right now in the beginning of this week's uh, Torah portion, which is called Pinchas, which should already give you an idea that God awarded, God awarded him. Uh, I'm going to mute uh, everybody. If you, have to, if you want to say something, please unmute yourself. God awarded him by giving him one of the Torah portions named after him. There's only 54 uh, parashiyot, or 50, and one of them is called Pinchas. So you'll see already that God appreciated him. But let's read in the beginning of this week's parsha uh, and see what God says about him. What? There is a division. Actually, the, 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 the making of the thing, of the parashiyot, yeah. was not made by doing the Jewish things. By what? Was, it was made much, much later. The, the parashiot. Dividing the parashiot. Dividing the five books of Moses into parashiot was made, and that's a fact, was made, maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I learned. If it's what, a fact, then, then you can't be wrong. What I know. Not yes. parashiot, parashot. Parashot, okay. Parashot. Okay. A parashot, the five books of Moses was divided into parashot. Later in history. And later on in history. Yeah. Actually... It may have been even a Christian thing. Yes, you're correct that it was later in history, and you're correct that it was a Christian thing, but not the parashiyot, the prakim. The chapters of the Torah were divided by Christians later, and for some mysterious reason, the Jewish people kept it. But not the parashiyot. The parashiyot is from Moshe. So, what? Torah was written only in one big pasuk? No, 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 not the psukim. The prakim. Chapter. You know how we say chapter and verse? Over here we have, uh, where are we up to over here? We're in the book of Bamidbar. Here, book of Bamidbar. Here starts Perek Chav Vav, Pasuk Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet. So the number, the fact that there is chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and those chapters have a Pasuk is uh, not a Jewish thing. But the fact that the Torah is divided into weekly portions, that is a Jewish thing. And we know that it's a Jewish thing because the whole idea of reading the weekly portion was instituted by Moshe. So, so the it's parashot, a chapter. The parashot was divided by God. Yeah. But now, what you would be correct in saying is that the names were not necessarily given by God. The names of the weekly portions were not necessarily given by God. But the Rebbe was emphatic many times that the fact that, that all Jewish people, since... I mean, thousands of years have agreed on certain names of the of the Shavua is Pratit, It's divine providence. It can be it can be called Torah uh, Misinai, but it was not. But the, those names were not uh, three thousand three hundred and thirty four years old. At least not historically, not physically. Maybe spiritually, and then at some point it got revealed what should the name of the parsha be. 
because, because <coughs> on countless occasions the Rebbe would say, why is the name of this Parsha so-and-so? It seems so strange. There should be something else. There are words earlier that there should be the name. Why, how could you name a Parsha after a bad guy? Like uh, Balak or like... Uh... Yitro? Even Pinchas. No. Yitro is a good guy. Pinchas is a good guy. You would think not to... Right. And to put down the Ten, the ten Commandments. Oh. Yitro. Right, Yitro. right, right, right. right. And, yeah, exactly. And there's no Parsha called Moshe. And there's no Parsha called Avram or Yitzchak or Yaakov or anything. So yeah, so the Rebbe did definitely respected the significance of the names of the Torah portions. So here too, the name of the Torah portion is Pinchas. So obviously he is respected. But now let's read, you'll see the details of how respected he was and how God rewarded him. So we're reading now the, the beginning of Parshat Pinchas. God spoke to Moses and said, right after the plague ended, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aharon HaKohen. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest, heshiv et chamati me'al b'nei Yisrael. Um, drove my anger away from the Jewish people. Bikanoet kinati b'tocham, by taking up my defense amidst the Jewish people. Velochiliti et b'nei Yisrael bikinati, stopping me from destroying the Jewish people in my own defense. In other words, God says, the Jewish people at that time basically rose up in a, in a wanton a revolt against God. Yeah. That's it. We'd rather have pretty girls. Enough with God. Of course, God took up his honor and, and uh, was it, uh, it was a terrible punishment. So Pinchas stopped that punishment by what he did. Lachen, therefore, what should, what should happen to Pinchas? Emor, say to him, Moshe, go tell Pinchas, shalom. I am granting Pinchas a covenant of peace between him and me forever. So, first of all, these sound like very exciting words. God is telling Pinchas that he and Pinchas have a friendship pact forever. Briti shalom. Brit shalom. A, 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 peace, a peace agreement between God and Pinchas. Olam. Uh, a covenant for, for peace. The and what will that be worth? What 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 is it? What is it going to be tangibly? for him and for his descendants afterward after him. Brit kihunat olam. I am making a covenant that he will be a kohen, and his descendants will be kohens forever. So whereas until this point, Pinchas was a private, the son of a general, the grandson of a general. Now, Pitom, he becomes promoted to become a general. He becomes Kohen. And not only does he get to be a Kohen, his sons get to be Kohens, his grandchildren get to become Kohens. Forever and ever, till this day, there are people walking on this earth, maybe, who including, are... Including Rabbi Friedman. Who may be descendants of Pinchas a Kohen. Why? And what? Yeah. yeah. And, but but how do you know which of the, those sons you come from? You don't know. But it could be come from him, all because of what he did. Because he was zealous, zealous. He was a, he he acted with zeal to defend God. And he brought atonement for the Jewish people. Okay.
That is what it says in the beginning of this week's part. So you see, it says it says in the in the in the Sfarim, it says in the in the holy books. Balshemtov used to say, every sin has a counterpart that is a mitzvah. So, for example, it says that uh, it's a it's a sin to eat on Yom Kippur, right? But if a person is starving, a person is ill. Then not only are you allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, Aval Dafke becomes a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur. So the same act, which is a sin, there are times when it becomes a mitzvah. Similarly, um, when murder is a sin, but if you are killing to defend, to defend in self-defense, not only are you allowed to do it, you have to do it, because you're not allowed to allow yourself to be killed. So therefore it becomes a mitzvah. So the same act that is sometimes considered a sinful murder becomes a mitzvah. So, so we say the same thing here. Pinchas goes and he does something that would usually be considered a sin. He executes a person with no trial. And yet here it was considered a mitzvah. So somebody asked the Baal Shem Tov, this is a beautiful thing. Somebody asked the Baal Shem Tov, you, you, you're saying that every sin has a time when it's a mitzvah. Well, wh- what about the sin of heresy? It's a sin to say there's no God. When is it a mitzvah to say that there's no God? So the, they say that the Baal Shem Tov answered, when a person comes to you and stretches out their hand for help, then it becomes a mitzvah to say there's no God. Not like some people who when somebody asks them for help, they say, God will definitely help you. Come, let's pray together that God helps you. No, 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 no. There is no God. You are God. You help Him. No, there's a God that helps. Hashem Yazar, get out of my face. God will help you. No, no, no. Then Baal Shem Tov says, that's a good time to pretend like there's no God because then you know you have to do something about it and you can't say, I love Judaism. No? I love Judaism. <laughs> Isn't that rich? <laughs> they say, There is a time for everything. And there is a time for heresy. And there is a time when, when this not the... What do you say? Heresy? Heresy. H-E-R-E-S-Y. Heresy. Kfira. To deny the existence of God. Okay, now let's go back to the story over here. So here's the, here's the question. Moshe Rabbeinu devotes his whole life to Am Yisrael. I mean, the man gives his life for the Jewish people. Almost all of his life. Right. And it's actually in this week's, the same parasha, this week's Torah portion, that, that, that Moshe says to God, I know that my life is coming to an end. And I know that you have to appoint somebody to take me over. Someone has to take my job. So I'd like to ask if I could, if I could perhaps uh, give you an idea of who should take over. So God said, who do you want, who are you suggesting? Moshe said, maybe one of my kids. Moshe had two sons, Elazar and Gershom. So Moshe says, you know, it wouldn't be bad. I wouldn't mind if I could see, after all my sacrifice, 
If I could see one of my children take my place, that okay? TV. Yeah. Natural. Yes. And God says to him, denied. Denied. Go to Yehoshua, your main Talmud, your main disciple. Go to Yehoshua, Joshua, and anoint him and appoint him, and he's going to be in your place. If we vitalize it. So, so the Rebbe, Araf Abrengen, <coughs> asked this simple question. Why should Abrengen virtually gives his life for the Jewish people day in, day out? And he, his position, his uh, gedula, his uh, value, quality, cannot be transferred to the next generation. Pinchas, who is a nobody, I mean, seemed to be a nobody, rises up on one occasion. Yes, granted, it was a very big emergency and he saved a lot of Jewish lives. But what is this? Fine, give him a reward. You're giving him a reward that he's a Kohen and all of his children forever inherit this gedula, this greatness, while Moshe Rabbeinu's children can't inherit his greatness. What is the difference between Pinchas and, uh, and a Moshe that Pinchas gets this eternal reward and Moshe doesn't get such an eternal reward? There's got to be some depth over here that should explain why what Pinchas did is in a way even more powerful than what Moshe Rabbeinu ever did which is why Pinchas earned a perpetual family reward, and Moshe Rabbeinu didn't. No? Anybody want to suggest that answer? On the side huh? note, yeah. on the side note, throughout history, throughout history, we never, all of the great, great people of history, good and bad, we never heard of their children. Yeah. Never heard Churchill, in much more Hitler, Hitler didn't have, but, but I'm saying, uh, 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 Napoleon, uh, Moshe, Einstein, we don't hear from their children. They went, oh, a lot of them went cuckoo. They went crazy, okay? But a lot of the great, great people in the world, they have no descendant. They have no history of Interesting. continuation, continuation. All of the great people, if you look, nobody will tell you I'm a descendant of Napoleon. Or Nap- Nap- Some I'm people will say. tell you they are Napoleon. Yeah, that's, that's something good. Yeah. But I'm saying, I nobody tells you I'm a descendant of Einstein. Where, where yeah. are they? Yeah. They disappear. How come? Yeah. Because it, there is one, this is the uniqueness of it. And yeah, that's true, the end. You cannot say it about Elon Musk. Elon Musk, a killer was there, should have one of the three No, well, but Elon Musk is not, anyway, not so on the level of, of this. Of the not yet, people. not yet, not yet. Not yet. Well, he knows how to make money. He's, he's working crazy. on it. He knows how to make money. He's crazy. But I'm just saying, right. it's, just, it's a historical fact. All of the great but you do find so. That, so then, in that case, you can you can use that to appreciate even more the greatness of Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef. That's right, because Ephraim. Avram is different. Avram is different because he's the beginning. If if we don't have the continuation of Abraham, we won't be here. Right. You see, but we don't have the continuation of Moshe, and we're right. still here. Right. You know what I mean? Right. We, we, all of the great people, 
We, we don't have, you know, I mean, even though David Amelech, Shlomo Amelech, where, where are their descendants? Nobody says they have a descendant of David Amelech. Or, or they, they have done, or their children have done something significant. Right. Well, of course, David and Shlomo, and that's it. Right. But where are they? It's maybe, it's part of nature, that how God created the earth, God, God created, created humanity, that he will put some great people to lead us, to bring us new ideas, new inventions, and that's it, you're done. Thank you. Did a great job. From this point, you go by yourself. Yeah. It's, uh, You're handed a bonus once every, uh, yeah. But the, but the truth is, you could use your point to give more credit to these great people because God doesn't make a person great. God makes a person talented or gifted and then the person chooses to use those talents and those gifts to be great by using them for, for productive, helpful, selfless re, uh, purpose. But you can't force the next generation who, who may have in, inherited the, the, the father's or mother's talents and gifts, but not inherited the father's or mother's gifts for using that gift so productively. In other words, Einstein's child may have been a genius, but just squandered, but squand- saying he may have been. He may have been a genius, but squandered it because he wasn't as uh, ambitious as his father. Okay, he was missing something. But I'm saying on every level, you have a guy who's, uh, who is as talented as his mother or as his father, but not as driven or not as selfless. So you, you see, waste, wastes it. It's not uncommon. But, um, but here in particular, if you want, according to what you're saying, it's ironic that Pinchas would get a, a family guarantee, a family deal, and Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't get it. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't get it. And by the way, for those people who say that Moses made up the Torah, that Moses was a character who wrote a, a, a fictional account of his, of his encounter with God, God forbid to say such a thing. But even the people that say that, Moshe didn't write himself a very good story. Yeah. yeah. His kids are nowhere. He doesn't make it to Israel. He's punished for the smallest uh, mistakes. He makes himself out to, to sound like, uh, if he wrote it himself, I'm saying. He makes himself out to sound like, makes one mistake, another mistake, another mistake. I mean, if a man's going to write a book about himself, he'd probably make it a little bit better and uh, continue it. You're right, you don't know. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu's ch- ch- grandchild appears later in the Torah as an uh, advocate of idolatry. In, in the Prophets, in the Book of the Prophets, in the book of uh, Yahushua, I believe. The first book? No, grandchild, grandchild. No, no, I said the first book. First book. Yeah. Well, or, or in the book of Shmuel, Moshe Rabbeinu's grandson appears as a, a man who was, whatever, I, I, it hurts to say it. But you're right, it didn't, did not transfer down to the next generation. And yet Pinchas does. So what, what, what gives over here? What's going on over here? So this is, what, this is how the Rebbe explained it. A Jewish person has a double job, has a double objective. The one objective, first objective is to be spiritual. A Jew has to be spiritual. Without being spiritual, there's no Judaism. 
without detaching yourself from the chumriyut, from the materialism, and trying to live a little bit higher, divorcing yourself from the physical world, and living higher, that you have nothing. So a Jew has to be spiritual. On the other hand, a Jew has to be physical. Because if you're spiritual without being physical, then you have accomplished nothing. Yes, you have defended yourself against becoming a hedonist, becoming a, I don't know how you say it in Hebrew, you've defended yourself against, against becoming a person whose life is devoted to physical pleasure, but you haven't done anything to make the physical world better. Because you've run away from the physical, you have nothing to do with it. So it's like, a person has to fast, a Jew has to fast at least once or twice a year, just in order to show that we don't rely on food. That food is not God. But on the other hand, if a Jew fasts all the time and never eats, then how are you going to elevate the food? How are you going to use the food, food for a godly purpose? The food will remain low while you go high. And that's not Judaism. So a Jew cannot say the, the purpose of Jews, the identity of a Jew, is to be spiritual. No. On the other hand, you can't say that, the, that spirituality is not Jewish. A Jew has to be physical. No, that's not true. A Jew has to be everything. Torah you have to be spiritual and you have to be physical. So let's just look at a micro, a micro example. A Jewish day. A person starts off their day spiritual. You start off your day, there is no world. You take your, your siddur, your prayer book, you open it up, you forget about the world. There's no CNN, there's no Fox, there's no business, there's nothing. There's no sports, there's nobody, there's just God and you, and you immerse in it and you're completely spiritual. That's how you start your day. Then you take that fortification that you fortified yourself and now you're ready to go and you go out into the world and you negotiate prices and you talk to clients and you meet with people and you shake hands but you, but you are elevating the world. The world is not dragging you down. So you're spiritual but then you're very physical and a Jew cannot choose to be one or the other. You have to be both. Moshe Rabbeinu was by and large his job was to be spiritual. Because even though every Jew is responsible to be spiritual and physical, but some people, God assigns them, God assigns them a, a job that is more spiritual. And some people, God assigns them a job where the emphasis is more physical. And yet everyone has to be both. But some people, God ordains that you live a certain way. So for example, a, a student in yeshiva who learns Torah 18 hours a day, 15 hours a day. And the rest of the time, barely physical. Yes, sir, at one point he's going to change, he's going to go out and get married, go into the world. But at that point, God has ordained that that person should be mostly spiritual. Can't be entirely spiritual, because the books are physical, the tefillin that he puts on are physical, uh, the food that he makes a bracha on is physical. But if you're talking about where is the stress, where is the dagesh in his life, for sure spiritual. And then you have other people who are, have to support their family and don't even have 20 minutes in the morning to learn Torah. That's how God arranged it, that they have to run out to, wait, to work right away. They put on tefillin very, very quickly and pray very briefly. And then that's it. For the, for the next 15 hours, they're on the road trying to make a living. God has ordained that they should be very physical. And, and both of them, both the spiritual one and the physical one, are responsible to address the opposite element in their life. But the emphasis for them is the way God arranged it.
So for example, a guy who only has 20 minutes in the morning to put on tefillin, those 20 minutes have to be the, the most quality 20 minutes of his day. So even though he doesn't have a lot of quantity, but the quality of his 20 minutes may even be greater than the 18 hours of the yeshiva student. Those 20 minutes, he is with God like nobody's business. Furthermore, when he goes out into the world and goes to work for 18 hours, during his work, he takes a break in the middle to do mincha. When he eats on the road, he makes a bracha. He makes sure the food is kosher. So even though his emphasis is physical, but he's still responsible to make sure that he's being spiritual at the same time. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, his emphasis for sure, spiritual. His main job was to teach the Torah to the Jewish people. Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai, Umisara, the Yeshua, and to the Jewish people. So Moshe Rabbeinu was the spiritual leader of the Jewish people. Yes, he did physical things too. He arranged the bread for them, he split the sea for them. But mostly we call him Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our, our rabbi, Moshe our teacher. Rabbein, Moshe Rabbeinu means Moshe our rav, our teacher, our rabbi. So Moshe was mostly spiritual. So, but God wants some physical. But God wants some physical. So Moshe had to be physical too. But that wasn't Moshe's big job. Moshe's big job was to be spiritual, to be the, to be the one that the Jewish people look up to as a spiritual example, to lead the Jewish people in all matters of ruchniyot, all matters of spirituality, and not to be involved that heavily in materialism. And you see that Moshe did his job brilliantly, and Moshe himself was almost completely spiritual, almost completely spiritual, to the point that when the Jewish people came to him and they said, Tenu lanu basar, the Jewish people said, we're sick and tired of the, the bread from heaven, give us meat. Moshe turned to God and he says, may I in li basar. Where, not, where am I supposed to get meat for them? So people say, what do you mean where? They, they, they were overflowing, teeming with cattle. Moshe didn't mean, where do you get meat? He wasn't asking God, where's the closest kosher market? Moshe was saying to God, may I in libasa? How could they ask me for meat? I don't have any connection to this stuff. It's like going to the Rebbe and asking him for a mortgage. I mean, I'll give you what I can give you. Why are you asking me for something that I have no connection to? Moshe Rabbeinu had no connection to meat. He barely ate, he barely drank. It says when he was on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights. He didn't eat, didn't drink. How does a person live for 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking? I don't know. Moshe Rabbeinu did it. He was in heaven. So Moshe Rabbeinu was almost completely spiritual. Which is amazing. And what he did for the Jewish people, we are still benefit, benefiting from it. Adayon. But the spiritual is not what connects you to the next generation. And that's why, despite Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness in spirituality, his children didn't pick it up from him. Now, if a person's going to say, hey, cool it with uh, criticizing Moshe Rabbeinu. Not criticizing Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the job that God gave him. This was his fate, that God decreed that Moshe Rabbeinu shall be spiritual. As we discussed two weeks ago or three weeks ago, that God told him that he should separate from his wife. Yeah. So it's not that Moshe Rabbeinu decided, you know what, I am, I am not connection to physical, I'm spiritual. No, Moshe Rabbeinu was that way because God told him that that's what he needs him to be. 
God told Moshe, you, you stay here with me. You be spiritual. And then the Jewish people will be a little bit more spiritual because of you. So somebody, one rabbi once told us in, in school, if you want your house to be 71 degrees, the boiler, the boiler, the, the heater, has to be, what, I don't know, 150 degrees, Right? The source of the heat in the house cannot be the temperature that you want the house to be. The source of the heat has to be much higher than that. If you put the, the heater at 120 degrees, then the house will be 71 degrees. Or, as we see with the sun, the sun is so many and many millions of degrees Fahrenheit, and that creates a beautiful 70 degree uh, day on, on the beach. But that doesn't mean to say, oh, you know why it's 70 today? Because the sun is out. The sun is not 70 degrees. The sun is 100 million, millions, millions of degrees. Yeah, um, but by the time it reaches you, it's a beautiful, comfortable 70 degrees. So the Jewish people need a spiritual warmth, a source of spiritual warmth. That's Moshe Rabbeinu. Does every Jew is supposed to be like that? No, that's what we talked about a few weeks ago. It's not, not that every Jew is supposed to be... But every Jew benefits and becomes a little bit more spiritual because of Moshe Rabbeinu being almost entirely spiritual. But the problem is that when you are entirely spiritual, it, the connection to the next generation is not strong. Pinchas, on the other hand, who does not seem to have been any, you know, nothing special, particularly spiritual. Yeah, you, you, uh, excuse me, but yeah. you went pretty fast. Yeah. That's yeah, okay. We went, you went, you, you give us Moshe Rabbeinu was spiritual, yeah. and then in one sentence, no, he doesn't go to second generation. Well, we get, we'll get there, we'll get there. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Pinchas, on the other hand, what he did, Pinchas didn't teach the Jewish people anything. Pinchas didn't, uh, he wasn't a rabbi. Pinchas did one single physical act. In this case, it was killing people, which is a, which is a traumatic story. But it doesn't have to be killing people. Pinchas did one physical act, and that's what he was known for, and for that reason, it went on to the next generation. In other words, between the Jewish people's jobs of A, to be spiritual, and A, the, and B, to be physical, which of those two, and of course, every story in the Torah is teaching us a message, it's not just giving us a history story, you know, a lesson of what happened to the Jews then. It's a, it's a, a lesson. So the fact that God tells Pinchas that his grandchildren can be Kohanim also, Kohindol, is a lesson for us. And what's the lesson? That between spiritual and physical, although every Jew has to be both, but when it comes to connecting your Judaism to the next generation, the emphasis has to be on the physical. The emphasis has to be on the Judaism as it manifests in a physical way. The spirituality short, shortly provides a standard for the next generation. It provides something for the next generation to try to live up to. It provides something for them to aspire to, but it doesn't connect them to it. If you want to, if you want to connect, one second, L, if you want to connect them to it, it's got to be expressions of Judaism as they are manifested in physical um, moments. As we'll explain better in just a second. Yeah, El. Oh, well, you might be going to explain it, but I was going to ask you to give us an example of the physical. Okay. But that's maybe where you're going, right? Okay, yeah, that's where we're going. So just, okay. as, so just to use as an example. 
A person grows up with a father who is very God-fearing or a grandfather who is very God-fearing and um, sees his father or his grandfather put on the talis and fill in every day and pray every day. Good. That is spiritual. Then the kid goes to work one day with his grandfather or his father and um, sees how the father runs his business in a unique way because of the fact that he's Jewish. So for example, sees his uh, father turn down a lucrative deal because it needs to be done on Saturday. Or, or sees his father um, turn down a lucrative deal because it involves a little bit of, a little bit of fraud, a little bit of dishonesty. So the child has two impressions of the father or the mother. One impression is a very spiritual impression. The other impression is a very physical impression. The physical impression will leave a, a deeper impression on the child than the spiritual one. Because something that is connected to the concrete physical reality is more impactful in a person's mind than something that is divorced from the physical reality. Now, you're going to say, okay, so then why should we daven at all? No, because if a person doesn't daven for an hour in the morning, chances are they won't turn down a lucrative deal because it's on Saturday. So the spirituality nourishes the physical. The spiritual Judaism nourishes the physical Judaism. But it's the physical Judaism that leaves an impression. So Moshe Rabbeinu was absolutely the reason why Pinchas had the courage, the, the, the guts, to do what he did. And yet it's Pinchas who connected it to the next generation. But Moshe Rabbeinu was so spiritual, exactly. Moshe Rabbeinu was so spiritual, but Pinchas is the one who made it physical, and that created a bridge to the next generation. So the simple lesson that the Rebbe wanted people to take from this story is that while it's all very good and fine to try and be Moshe, every Jew to try to be Moshe Rabbeinu, it's even more important for every Jew to try to be Pinchas. In other words, if you are not Moses and you are not going to be learning Torah 18, day, 18 hours a day, far be it from you to give up and say, forget about it, I'm not going to be able to be an inspiration to my children. On the contrary, that is, that is not where it's going to happen. That's where you'll find the inspiration to do what's right. But when you do what's right, that's when your kids will see. That's when the, when the, when the next generation will, will see that we're talking about something serious that's relevant to the world. So all the lectures and all the stories and all the speeches and all the sermons and all the fathers telling their children, this is very important. Okay, Abba, I got it. I got it. I'll be watching and I will see whether it's very important. I'll watch the way you run your business. I'll watch the way you run your life, and I'll see if it's very important. I hear what you're saying. But saying is not the same as being. What are you saying, El? Yeah, I just translated my brain too. Like the physical is demonstrating more like what you got from the spiritual. So they're connected, but the physical is the demonstration of the physical because the, the spiritual isn't kind of really as tangible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not only a lesson in, in human psychology and parenting, because the Rebbe wasn't a, 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 you know, a parenting uh, 
advocate. That's not what he was trying to say. The Rebbe was, was explaining that this is the reality of God and spirituality. That the way God created the world, the most powerful spirituality is spirituality that is manifested physically. That all of the holiness in heaven doesn't possess the amount of energy and power that one tiny spiritual act in a, in a very physical moment has more power. So, uh, so a, a person who, for example, the family goes on vacation and the kid wakes up in the morning and the same kid, he sees his father davening every day, goes to show, stays there for two hours. Then they go on vacation, the kid wakes up and he sees they're in a lake house and the father is outside by the lake davening. For some reason, that image of, of Abba davening on vacation is more memorable, is much more of an impression than, than all of the years of, of Abba going to Shul to Davin. Because in the child's brain, you can always compartmentalize and say, well, Abba going to Shul to Davin, that's all spiritual. I'm not spiritual. Because it's like we said, not, the two generations are hardly ever the same. Right? The one generation looks at the next generation and like, like a frog looking at its babies, you know, that looks like tadpoles, looks like, what is this? Every generation looks at the next generation and says, what is it? And the, and the next generation looks up at their parents and says, who are you? It's, like, it's a generation gap and a communication uh, disconnect. So, so a father goes to shul and he's very spiritual. A kid grows up, he says, I'm not spiritual. So therefore, I have a connection to this. But when he goes on vacation... And they're in a lake house and they're living it up and his father's wearing jeans and a t-shirt and not black pants and a white shirt. And his father's fishing during the day and helping him to dig up worms. And then he sees his father davening on that vacation. It's a spirituality which is manifested in a physical. Even, so, even the davening can be like that. It's just a question of is it true even when you're being physical? Or are there two universes? A spiritual one and a physical one. They said about um, oh, who's the famous philosopher that everybody talks about a Greek philosopher Aristotle they found Aristotle in a compromising position shall we say they found him doing something that somebody with a high minded attitude shouldn't do and they said to him what is this he said when I'm philosophizing I'm Aristotle right now I'm not Aristotle <laughs> what do you want from me you turned me into this big thing. Okay, so when I'm teaching you, then I'll be Aristotle right now. Leave me alone. <laughs> I can do. I, have, I can be just a normal person. Right. I live in two realities, and then, and there's no contradiction <laughs> be, between the two. Yeah. you. So, so here's the. It's a, that's a, what you just touched upon. Is such such so powerful. You could see a man or a woman act spiritual, so spiritual. I mean. Fasting every day for a month before Rosh Hashanah. It doesn't help. It doesn't touch the heart. Because the person says, Oh, the person is so spiritual. Alright, let's go to the game. <laughs> because I'm not, spirit. I'm not spiritual. The person is very spiritual. But deep down there is a suspicion. Deep down there is a suspicion and a skepticism in the heart of everybody who sees a spiritual person. What do they do in moments of physicality? 
How do they conduct themselves when they're not being spiritual? It's all good and fine that for 19 and a half hours of the day they're spiritual, but what do they do in the half hour of the day when they're not spiritual? If you find that person, and it happens all the time, if you find that person during that half an hour of the day when they're not learning, and you find them doing something that requires sacrifice, that requires, that hurts, and they're doing it because of what they learned during their 19 and a half, 23 and a half hours of learning, then suddenly they become real in your eyes. You tell them to become real. Until then, it doesn't matter. All the spirit in the world doesn't help until it's born into something physical. So Moshe Rabbeinu could not connect to the ne- his next generation. It didn't perpetuate because God didn't give him the privilege of leading that kind of a life. So his children, or his grandchildren, drifted away. Whereas Pinchas, in his most physical moment, violence, he was being spiritual. I wanted to finish with a a story. There is a man that that I know. He is a psychologist. And he's a a Hasidic psychologist. Now, his father was one of the legends of the previous generation. One of the guys that fought the Soviet Union, went to the gulags, was a great chassid, a gaon, brilliant man, Torah scholar. And uh, tefillah for him, prayer for this, for this guy's father was, that, for him that was everything. He used to pray shacharit. The morning prayer would take him four or five hours on a regular day. On a regular day. He would put on his talis and close his eyes and he would meditate and meditate and sing. And med- prayer for him was transformative. It was just for him, it was the most enjoyable part of his life. And he had his children. And now this psychologist says, he was the youngest of the children. And he asks himself, he wrote an article and he says, I ask myself, why am I not like my father? Why don't I enjoy praying? And he answers that, um, and I'm not a, I am not ascribing, I am not necessarily agreeing to this blame your father and mother for all your problems attitude, but there is a lesson to be learned over here. He says, my father always pestered me Davin. It's Gedavin. It's Gedavin. You prayed? Did you pray? That you call praying? He says, he doesn't remember his father ever complimenting him on his prayer. And he says, you know what? My prayers were nothing special. I didn't enjoy praying. So I would pray. But he says, looking back, I think that if my father would have looked at my half-baked prayer and said to me, ooh, I see, the, I see in you a potential. Boy, one day you're going to be... No. It was always, that's not called prayer. That's not called prayer. What was that, 20 minutes? Come on, pray, pray. You have to get into prayer. So, Makarapo, his father was so spiritual, but his father had no, had no means. He had no... Ways, means, physical way to convey it to the next generation. 
So what did he do? He just was spiritual. And when his kid wasn't being spiritual, he says to his kid, you have to be spiritual. There was no, there was no chachma. There was no wisdom, which between you and me, wisdom is the most physical aspect of spirituality. Knowing how to connect it to the world, that is the, that's what you call the gashmiyot sheberuchniyot. It's very good to have a great idea, but if you can't figure out how to get people to connect to it, it ain't gonna happen. No matter how much you pound on the table and say, this is important. A lot of people doing the same mistake. They're putting down their kids or whatever. They're putting them down in order for the kid to lift himself to be better. But it's burying him more. Right, because there's a disconnect. The, 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 the father or the mother, whether, and it's never malicious. It's just an inability to get down and dirty and put yourself in somebody else's reality. Can't. Can't. He lives in a higher reality and cannot lower, cannot lower himself down to the lower reality and therefore it's not going to happen. That is why Pinchas was able to transfer it and Moshe Rabbi was not able to transfer it. So now, when, whether you're talking about our children or we're talking about our grandchildren or you're talking about other people's children or you're just talking about a person who is spiritually on the level of a child. If we have any hope, if we, which of course we do, but if we have any hope of really inspiring people, you have to make sure that when you are in your most physical moments, you are being physical in a Torah way, in a Jewish way. So recreation and business Coming to and uh, uh, everything else of, in our life, which, is, which seems to be extremely not spiritual, you have to make sure to do it in an in a enlightened and a higher way because that's where people find inspiration. A person is able to play baseball with yamaka and tzitzis. Much more inspiring than oh, a person yeah. who sits in, in shul right. Right. And, and davens all day. Agree with you. It, yeah. Not that, oh, look, the religious kid knows how to play. No, 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 no. While he's playing, he's serving God. Yeah. Now suddenly you've, uh-huh. it's, suddenly there's a bond. You connect it, it clicks, the person gets it and says, oh, I see. I don't have to be spiritual in order to be holy. I can just be holy. That's the that's the essence. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.